John chapter 4 is a well-known chapter, and we're not going to read it all, but we'll break in at a certain point, and no doubt make references to the other points in the course of our time together. The Lord had met the woman at the well, had been pointing her in the right direction, whilst the disciples had gone away to buy food. And when they came back, they were surprised to find that the Lord was talking with the woman there. But we'll break in at verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. We see two things in the verses we've read together. The Lord's example and the Lord's exhortation to his disciples. There are three things that stood out to me thinking about uh, the Lord's example here. And the first might be a kind of unusual one, but uh, he's talking about food, what his food was. And he said he had food to eat that they didn't appreciate or understand. And then he said it was to do the will of his father. Why do we eat? Well, we eat for nourishment. But I think some of us eat for pleasure as well. Do you enjoy eating? Do you enjoy your food? And I want to suggest to you that the Lord, in retrospect with his conversation with the woman that had uh, met him at the well there, was reveling in the pleasure that he had, that, uh, that he had that conversation with the woman. I don't know about you, but if we share the gospel with others, uh, it can be a very satisfying experience. We would long to see more satisfaction and more people coming to the Lord Jesus, of course. But the very fact that we've had a conversation with somebody should give us a sense of fulfillment, a sense of joy. The second thing that stood out for me there was the Lord's obedience. Verse 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The Lord Jesus was operating under divine authority, of course, in the time that he spent here below. And uh, what if he hadn't come? What if he hadn't obeyed? Well, that's unthinkable. We wouldn't even contemplate such a situation. Because we know that he did come, and he came in obedience to his Father's will. Sent from the eternal Father who dwells in light above came forth the Son most holy to manifest his love. And how grateful we are 
My food is to do the will of him who sent me. It struck me some time ago, I was going to the assembly in Kaswa, and the brother had sent an email to me and he says, we want you to talk about uh, thy will be done as it is in heaven should be done on earth, the Lord's Prayer. And I found it quite a challenging thing. Do we pray that prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because the first person that applies to is the person that's praying it, and it's quite a challenge. We know, of course, that the Lord Jesus never wavered in his uh, devotion to doing the will of God, and in that he sets us a beautiful example. He was operating under divine authority, and so are we. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples. So the challenge is there for us. And of course, in the case of the Lord Jesus, the third example we have there is in the same verse 34, to finish his work. We, we revel in that, don't we? We're so grateful. There are so many people today who are endeavouring by religious means or other means to achieve uh, a finished work. It's impossible. No amount of work uh, humans can do will ever achieve salvation. I've been in correspondence with a couple of Jehovah Witnesses and in one of my letters I said, how much work is necessary to be saved? And she wrote back, were you being facetious when you said that? But when you stop and think about it, how much work, how many days, and how much effort in every day, and how many years, and everybody would be different. So there's absolutely no way to quantify what would be acceptable to God. And of course we know that it's not acceptable to him because the Lord Jesus came and did what he was supposed to do while here below. And in John 17 he says, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. And of course he was going on to Calvary. And there, that triumphant cry echoes from the cross. Finished. Triumphant indeed. So yes, three examples of the Lord Jesus in action here. But now what about the exhortation? I think we get the first one right there in, uh, in verse uh, 35. I tell you, open your eyes. Open your eyes. It's a wake-up call. I've never read it like that before, but I want you to think about it like that tonight. That this was a wake-up call to the disciples. When we wake up, we open our eyes. And the Lord Jesus is giving a call to his disciples here to open their eyes and look around them. And that's a challenge that comes to us as well. So easy for us to be sidetracked by lesser things and so many people's lives are being taken up with trivialities. Perhaps an extreme example was the American couple who retired and they bought a big sea-going yacht and they were sailing around the world collecting shells from different beaches. What an achievement. Imagine presenting that to God as the sum and substance of your life. All these nice shells that have been found in different beaches. That's an extreme example, of course. But we Christians can be caught up in trivialities as well. And we really do need to wake up to the fact 
that the Lord Jesus says here, the harvest is plenty. In verse 36, if you look at it carefully, you'll find that twice over he uses the word now. Now he harvests. Now. I just want to use the word urgency in this. We often preach this, don't we? Now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. And that's very true. But that needs to come home to us as well. We've only got today. We haven't got tomorrow or all the weeks or months that lie ahead. So it's essential for us to capitalise on the strength we have and the opportunities we have and seek by God's grace to do something for the Master. The Lord Jesus does speak about reward there, doesn't he, of course? <clears throat> well, he speaks about wages, first of all, in verse 36. Now the, the reaper draws his wages. And then later on, he says about the, the reaping the benefits of their labor. We would never for a moment think of rewards for our service as an incentive. It's, a, it's an incentive to a lot of people, of course, but from the Christian perspective, we would say, well, we, d we don't need the reward. And yet, in marvelous grace, the Lord Jesus, who has saved us by his grace, has promised that he will reward those who serve him. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we've got the scripture there uh, telling us about the day of assessment when we stand before the Lord Jesus and if our works are accepted and acceptable then there will be that reward for us and other places as well as you know the Lord Jesus almost in the closing part of the scripture says I, might, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give to each one according as his work is so he's not offering it here as an incentive but just as a statement that that is something that we will go to enjoy <clears throat> and that for all eternity and it should be an incentive for us to do all we can while we can you notice another word he uses there <clears throat> about uh, eternal life in verse 36 even though the reaper draws his wages even though he harvests the crop for eternal life I don't know of any greater incentive than that for us to try and reach out to other people. It should have a profound effect on us that here we are dealing with something that goes way beyond the limits of time and sense. It's looking away into eternity. And if we could just grasp this, the significance of this more clearly, I think it will inspire us to ever greater efforts for the Lord Jesus. We are living in a, in a time zone and the hours just are fleeting past so quickly. But we can be involved in something that has an eternal dimension. I find that very challenging and it should encourage us to press on to do ever more for the Lord Jesus. Going away from our chapter, I was thinking of what Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. He says, necessity is laid upon me. 
And when we remember that we are operating under divine authority and be given a divine mandate to reach out to men and women, uh, whether they hear or don't, uh, it should grip us just the way as it did with Paul. Necessity is laid upon me. And so here the Lord Jesus is giving us in the scriptures a, char a charge to be up and doing. I think preparation should be a large part of our contemplation too. We often think of 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Uh, Peter says, Set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Unless you're using an older version that doesn't say quite the same thing. But then he says that we should always be prepared to give an answer concerning the hope that is within us. <clears throat> and I used to think of that as well, I hope somebody comes up and says to me, what do you hope for? It suddenly dawned on me once upon a time that really we would have to tell them that we did have a hope before they could know that we had one. I don't think we walk through life with hope written over our faces. Maybe, a, maybe more smiles would help in that direction, of course. But uh, yes, if, if people know that I've got a hope, I've got to tell them I've got it. And then we should be ready to give answer accordingly. That requires preparation. I think a lot of people are hindered from attempts at soul winning simply by the fact that they don't know what to say. Of course, the Lord Jesus promised the disciples that when they were being persecuted and they were on trial, he says, don't worry about what to say. The Holy Spirit will give you in that hour. But it's good for us to be prepared to have a a framework with which we can operate under so that when we do talk to people, we know uh, where to go, what to say, a kind of outline that we can uh, follow. We don't want to make the gospel too simple. <clears throat> we used to use a leaflet in Nigeria, just four steps, and they're very helpful steps, but you can give them information. Uh, infer that from that the, the gospel is, is a very simple thing. It is, and yet it's not, because we've got to remember that God requires a lot of us. Perhaps the thing that we need to talk more about today, well, we can talk about sin, and that you would start there, wouldn't you? Mind you, if it was somebody who didn't know about God, you'd have to tell them about the, the true and living God to start with. And then you would lead on to say, well, we are, we are sinners, we have failed, we are unholy. But then we need to talk about repentance a lot more than we do. It's so easy for us to give a simplistic explanation of the gospel and forget to tell people that God now commands all men everywhere to repent with a view to being ready for that day of judgment that's coming. So there's a need to tell people we have a hope and we need to know what we're going to say if we get opportunity to take it further along. Sometimes we meet people and we're in conversing with them and they want to divert up this uh, bypath and that bypath. But if you know where you're aiming and what you want to uh, persuade them about and convince them about and uh, leave them to think over, then if you've got that framework in your mind, you keep on coming back to bring them back on tack on track as you go. <clears throat> the other thing that I, going back to our chapter that comes out, uh, came out to me 
quite strongly was this business of uh, people labouring. He's speaking here about people working and in verse 38 he speaks about hard work. He's talking about the partnership between sowing and reaping here of course. But it's the thought of hard work. I wonder if we get a glimpse of that hard work at the beginning of the chapter. Because you remember it says that the Lord Jesus had to go through Samaria. And there's an element of compulsion there, wasn't there? He knew what he was doing. He knew where he was going. He knew who he was going to meet. And he knew the outcome of it all. But it says he was wearied by his journey. And sometimes there's a physical dimension to what we are doing, reaching out to others. We can get weary uh, going about the Lord's business, going out, giving out leaflets or whatever we do. <coughs> I'm sure workers with young people and those who entertain children week after week uh, feel the weariness of it all. But when we remember what we're doing and why we're doing it, then this is an encouragement to draw strength from the Lord Jesus and press on. I just want to emphasize this aspect of the the, the labour that's involved uh, in it. <clears throat> I was remembering our, I think it was our first or second devotional weekend up in Scotland many years ago. We went to a youth hostel on the banks of Loch Lomond at Rowardenon. And uh, on the Saturday afternoon, I can remember we were out on a boat on the loch uh, singing, I will work for Jesus, trust him and obey carry out his orders, serve him day by day. And he goes on to speak about the ripened harvest. And I, I thought I might have found that hymn on Google today, but obviously Mr. Google didn't know that one, so I can't completely, maybe you can. But it's a challenging hymn, isn't it? I will work for Jesus, trust him and he would be. Carry out his orders, serve him day by day. And there's effort involved, there's, there's labour involved, and you think of some great, workers in the gospel who've worked tirelessly uh, to, to reach out to others. So yes, there's a challenge in that for us. But what about the labourers? <clears throat> the Lord Jesus spoke about that, didn't he, in Mark, Matthew chapter 7, oh sorry, chapter 9, where he was speaking about the need for the disciples to give themselves to prayer. I'll just read these verses together, Matthew 9. Verse uh, 35 to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. One of the things that come across to us, uh, thinking of the work in the African dimension these days, is the need for more laborers, more workers to go out to exploit the opportunities that are coming uh, the way of our brothers and sisters there in different places and different countries and you say but who will go and you go into the radio and somebody writes in from 700 miles away and says I would like to know more about churches of God and somebody writes a letter from somewhere else and 
And you say, where are the men? Where are the people to go? And so we should really give ourselves to prayer that the Lord will raise up more laborers for this wonderful task that he's given to us. But you notice, of course, that verse 36 of Matthew 9, eh, compassion played a, a large part in the Lord Jesus' exhortation to the disciples there. Coming back to our chapter, he speaks about sowing and reaping, and we recognize that we've all got different roles to play. We were saying recently that uh, it's a great honor, a great privilege, if you can actually lead a soul to the Lord Jesus. Uh, but all the parts that lead up to that are equally vital. If you were hanging by a chain of ten links, sometimes I ask young people, which is the most important link in the chain? And some will say the first, and some will say the last. I would say they're all equally important, because if you're hanging, and it doesn't matter which one breaks, you're down. But I think we would all like to be spiritual midwives, wouldn't we, actually leading a soul to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray that God will help us and give us that great honour of bringing somebody. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be sad? Well, there's an old hymn, a, a young man got saved very close to the end of his life, and he says, Must I go? And empty-handed, thus my dear Redeemer not, er, meet, not one soul with which to greet him, to lay at his feet, something like that. It's challenging, isn't it? Remember Mr. Ferguson talking one time, and he said, a brother told him quite cheerfully that he had never led a soul to Christ. Mr. Ferguson didn't think there was anything cheerful about that. And it is a challenge to us to ask that God will help us to be meet the means uh, to bring another soul to the Lord Jesus. One thing I would suggest that we try to do more to keep in touch with those we, we meet. I'm not saying my method is necessarily successful, but when I get a good conversation with somebody, I try to make, a, make sure I get the person's name, make a note of their address, and try to follow it up with a, a letter and a booklet. I'm not sure that it's all that effective, but it's worth a try. Uh, I keep on thinking about a young woman I met in Balnasloe in Southern Ireland. I went back round again another time and I said, did you get my letter? Yes. Did you get my booklet? Yes. Did you read it? No. So, but you can only try. <clears throat> you can only try and perhaps it's something we do need to try and uh, develop a bit more. The how-to, uh, well, we've got the Lord's wonderful example in this chapter, and we're not going to go through it all tonight. As you know, the Lord's method of reaching out to this woman and engaging her in conversation and gradually leading her step by step until she was face to face with the reality that she was not a very good woman, and secondly, that the Lord Jesus knew all about her life. I'm saying I'm not a very good woman. I don't think we should. I, I tend to feel a bit defensive for this woman. Probably she was an abused woman. Probably she had just been uh, passed from pillar to post. And uh, uh, I think we can breathe a lot of hurt into her experience. But the Lord Jesus graciously drew her out and presented her with the fact that she was a needy woman. Perhaps that's the best way to put it. And then at last gave her that marvellous moment of revelation. I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, 
he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. That's, that's, that's hallowed ground, isn't it? I that speak to you am he. He didn't do that with many people that we know about. He did it for her. And he's still willing to do that. And there are people who greatly need that today. We are surrounded by people who follow another faith around us here. And they need to know who Jesus is. And it's only the Lord Jesus and the gracious Holy Spirit who will uh, be able to bring them to that revelation. One of the things I like about John chapter 4 is that it shows that it's an ongoing thing. He spoke to her, she spoke to her people, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they came. And if you just look at verse 39 of our chapter, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. So they got saved because of the working of the divine purpose. I wonder how many more people have got saved down the years because of John chapter 4. Anybody here? Anybody here? No? Sometimes, sometimes you can just uh, discover that somebody else has been led to Christ through the preaching of John chapter 4. My point is that we are involved in a perpetual work that will never end for all eternity. What a marvellous plan of salvation God has.